It's summertime, and at my bookie, that can only mean one thing. It is winning season. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means free bets, super contests, survivor, and more. And at my bookie, winning season's all about your chance to win big. Bet NBA playoffs, NHL, Major League Baseball, UFC, golf, and then some. The craziest sports summer we've ever had. It's simple make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Invest in your sports intuition, people. Select from hundreds of futures bets. You can bet games in real time with MyBookie's live betting. Put that big old brain of yours to good use and use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play, designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games that you bet. Thousands of cross-sport wagers, props, and parlays await. Sign up now and bet with the best and celebrate your victory. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. Today on the ZabeCast, Ron Thomas joins me and we discuss the midweek letter from Big Ten AD Kevin Anderson, which I'm sure has satisfied nobody. Why Marco Andretti, a legend and name and lineage only, has a great shot to perhaps beat the Andretti curse this Sunday. Plus, Ron takes aim at some newspaper columnists. All that, plus your cell phone says, you're drunk, go home. Your daily Kickstarter of Uncensored Me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Thursday, August 20th, 2020. Thank you for joining me. A robust and wide-ranging chat with Ron Thomas tonight, including a good chunk on Indianapolis, the Indy 500, which before you go, boring, trust me, Ron can make it interesting. I can make it interesting. It is interesting. Okay? Keep an open mind. Broaden your horizons. Sort of some fascinating stuff in there. Plus, we talk about Kevin Anderson and his letter midweek. Uh, to try to mop up, clean up aisle five, clean up aisle five, to try to placate the growing anger of the Big Ten sitting out this fall football season, which looks like it's proceeding apace in other parts of the country. So we'll get to all that in just a second. First, though, uh, I have a Hyundai Genesis that is a 2011. It's a 4.8 liter V V8, and it is glorious 4.8 4.6 liter it has been the best car the single best vehicle in terms of reliability joy to drive smoothness and value bang for the buck i have ever owned i think i bought a brand new for about 43 back in 2011 or maybe even 2010 and it's just about to hit 200,000 miles but a while back, I had noticed he was kind of making this weird sound. So I took it in to my local, friendly, uh, Round Hill Exxon mechanic, Dave. Fucking great guy. He really knows. Totally honest mechanic. And he's like, yeah, it's kind of bad. I'm like, well, what is it? He goes, it was bone dry out of oil. And I'm like, oh, shit. How'd that happen? Because I'm a dummy that doesn't check my oil. Uh-huh. See, this is why I need the old, you know, gas station uh, guys. Oh, can I check the oil, sir? <laughs> no, I didn't check the oil. The car runs so flawlessly. It's had zero maintenance issues at all. 
Not a single repair on this Hyundai Genesis. 200,000 miles, 10 years old. Not a single repair. Nothing has gone wrong. Not a thing. Well, it did get run out of oil. And so Dave was like, yeah, uh, we filled it up. I don't know what's going to happen, but we'll see. So at that point, this was about six months ago. I'm like, ah, you know what? This car is going to blow up on me, which will suck, but whatever. It is what it is, right? <laughs> like Ivan Drago, if it dies, it dies. <laughs> it's given me more than my money's worth as a vehicle. Lo and behold, he puts the oil in it, and the Hyundai Genesis goes, thank you. I feel much better. And it goes back to running beautifully. So I noticed a little the other day, and I'm like, oh, shit. I'm not checking the oil. So I go to pull the dipstick out, and it's got what looks like oil on the end of it, but I get the rag to go wipe it off, and it's not wiping off. It looks like it's baked on there, and I'm thinking, oh, shit. Is that oil just like burned onto the dipstick at the end because it's been so dry and it's burning up in there? Possibly. Who knows? So I wipe it off best I can, put the dipstick back in, pull it out, and then I use my bare fingers to try to feel if it's wet. Can't feel anything. I'm like, all right, fuck. So I bring it back to Dave, and I said, all right, starting to make a sound again. What's the deal? Down two and a half quarts. And I go, is that a lot? He goes, yeah, that's a lot. And I go, oh, shit. I said, so honestly, what do you think? He goes, well, look, you know, it's still running pretty good. Uh, I'd keep a watch on it. Make sure you check that oil every month, you know. I said, do you think it's going to keep going through oil? And he's like, probably. And it'll get worse, he said. And he talked about some of the uh, the oil seals and the thises and the thats. And I quickly went, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's because you don't check your oil. You're, you're fucking terrible car owner. You're, you're, you're worse than a woman. No, no offense, women. You're probably better than him. Anyway, so I said, well, how many, how many more miles do you think it's got in it? And he wouldn't give me a number because I guess like an auto mechanic is like a doctor. They never really want to get pinned down on a number because who the fuck knows, right? I said, is it 5,000? Is it 50,000? He's like, eh, maybe 50. He's like, you know, it could go 300. You never know. I said, well, what's the worst case? He's like, yeah, well, this blows up, that blows up. And I go, and that's a big repair. He's like, yeah, at that point, you're basically building a new motor. And I'm like, all right, good to know. So I think I'm on the verge of a new vehicle. And of course, I'm going to go see my man, Russ Darrow, to get said new vehicle. Although he doesn't, the one brand he doesn't rep, Mike Darrow over there at the Russ Darrow dealerships in Southeast Wisconsin, the one dealer he doesn't, he doesn't do hunt, he doesn't do Genesis. See, I'd go right back into a new Jenny in a heartbeat. Um, they're unbelievable cars. The Koreans are kicking ass. The Kias, though, are almost as good. And the Kia Telluride SUV is just mwah, chef's kiss beautiful. So I don't know. I'm not even necessarily gung-ho for a new car. I mean, I can afford it, obviously, but I don't. I'm not really, you know, I still got this fucking van. I should just drive the mobile strike van all around, right? But whatever. I, I'm I'm thinking about it. My daughter's going off to college. She's got a Subaru that I could drive that, but eh, what fun is that? So any thoughts, suggestions on a new vehicle, and you can run the gamut. I will entertain everything from a Prius all the way up to a, a Ram 1500 
uh, Thunderhawk Midnight Edition, whatever the fuck I drove in Wisconsin last time I was there, which was so glorious. It was unbelievable. Of course, $70,000. Okay. So give me some suggestions. And better yet, just tell me, is it time to get out? Is it time to get out of the car? I don't even know if it's got much value left on it. I bet at 200,000 miles, even if I didn't tell them about the fact I ran it dry of oil, they could probably see that it's maybe using oil. I don't know. And the value on a 200,000-mile car probably can't be much more than three grand. It's probably just a wholesale price. Hell, the interior leather is great, except for the leather that I'm sitting my fat ass on every day. That's kind of weathered. Everything else is fucking perfect. There's a few French fries down in the cracks and all, but otherwise, good. So let me know. New car. Looks like I might be in the market. Speaking of cars, let's talk Indy with our guy Ron Thomas. All right, let's see what Ronnie is up to tonight. I think he's packing to go to Indianapolis. Maybe to sneak in for the Indy 500. Hello. Hello, Ronnie. Did I interrupt your packing for Indy? Uh, Yes. I literally was carrying a laundry basket. Oh, okay, good. You're going tomorrow, right? Yeah, I leave tomorrow. Let me go upstairs here. Hold on. All right, you go upstairs. I'm going to go ahead and uh, give you some preamble here. Ron Thomas, everybody. The Who's Your Kid, a man of many talents, and is living his best life. Love this guy. Now my son is hollering my name. Hold on. (laughs) You said, how are we looking for a chat? And I thought you were getting antsy. So I said, I'll just throw a hot no, call into you while I'm Winston, recording. I'm on the podcast. Hold <laughs> on, bud. All right, I'm here. All right, very good. It warmed it warmed the cockles of your heart to hear Notorious J say that he remembers all these great names from Indy 500 past. How about them apples, huh? It was great. I was so uh, surprised and happy to hear that. I think I next really year, was. 100%. We're going, and I will bring the Mobile Strike Studio, and I will broadcast from Indy, and I will get the full Indy experience with you. Good, and we'll get AJ Foyt, and we'll get all kinds of people on there interviewed. Fucking fantastic. I can't wait. Seriously, next year, 2021 is the year I take that van all over the place. You watch. You watch. It's going to happen. All right, so, yeah. It's a cool thing. It's a really cool thing for the listeners that have not experienced it, it's just a cool thing yeah, that I, you've done there. I can't wait. All right, so let's see. Uh, let's start with, uh, before we get into Indy, because this will be a bit of an Indy 500 preview, you right. are a, a, a child of the Big Ten, having grown up and uh, you know worshipped Indiana and known the Big Ten, lived in the Big Ten, and now Maryland, the school you went to, has become a member of the Big Ten. And boy, is the Big Ten in quite a spot right now. And Commissioner Kevin Warren tonight put out a letter clarifying, Ron, the conference's decision to not play football or any fall sports this fall. I would say just before I turn it over to you, anytime you have to put out a clarifying letter, you fucked it up. Yeah. Well, how about having the letter with the announcement? Mm. You know, be a good idea concept yeah it would or a press conference where kevin warren and a few of the senior presidents and or 
heads of the Big Ten institutions stand up and take questions and explain their rationale and go through the process. None of that happened. No. It was such an obtuse announcement. And then, of course, we didn't hear anything from the presidents. Still Um, haven't. Yeah, still haven't. And then we heard, uh, I forget who it was, um, maybe Rutgers or someone, one of the presidents or one of the ADs. The ADs. The the presidents have not spoken. Only the the ADs. ADs. The female AD said, uh, I don't know about any announcement, or I don't, yeah. I didn't, I, I don't, don't know about, about any vote. Any vote. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think so. that was the AD at Iowa. It, it, well, it is a, it is such a mess. It is the very picture of unleadership, if that's even a word. The antithesis no, of leadership, and there are so many families and young people's lives that have been irreparably damaged by this decision. You can't just make it up. They're talking about a winter season for fucking football. Are you crazy? Yeah. Well, you talk about it all the time. I mean, uh, we're going to play football in Minneapolis and in, in ten degree Iowa weather. City. Yeah, in February. That's it's, right. It's stupid. Yeah. So, um, who is this so, Kevin Warren guy? A lot of people are telling me, Ron, that if Jim Delaney was still the uh, eight, the the uh, commissioner of the Big Ten that this wouldn't have happened, at least not this way. He would have been better prepared. He was a more veteran guy. He knew how to run the conference. Do you buy into that? Of course I buy into it. But, Steve, nothing makes sense anymore, so this is the new normal. This is the new normal. I mean, it is, unfortunately. This is just the way things are. So from a personal standpoint, you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed about coming to the University of Maryland from Indiana was the new feeling that it had. I mean, I was going to Indiana football and basketball games since I was eight, seven, eight years old. And so, you know, I'm talking about the days of Butch Wolfolk and Ali Haji Sheik from Michigan and watching, you know, those guys play against Indiana. So I was a diehard Big Ten fan, but it was such a new an exciting thing for me to come out East and to experience the ACC. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was so good. So then if you when, had had your druthers, would Maryland have stayed in the ACC? Of course. You, I've <laughs> gone on record and say it's That's, the worst decision in the history of college athletics. And it was strictly made done for money because, well, no, it was not sure it was made to make money, but what it was is it was to cover university of Maryland's ask for their fiscal mismanagement for years Building, you know, adding a $210 million addition onto a football stadium. And- that was never filled. That was uh, Debbie Yao, the AD, of who course. pushed through that football stadium expansion thinking, we've got to get big time. And yeah. people were like, uh, excuse me, uh, miss, the, you don't fill the stadium as is. You're not a power. You haven't been a power since... Frank Reich and uh, Boomer Esiason and the likes of which. Like, come well, on. Well, we were good. Well, Ralph Friedgen was Ralph good. Ralph had him good. It was filled. It was filled. Was it when filled he then? was there. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, it was good. It was fun. It was exciting. Of course, he was a Maryland guy. So See, keep, it filled, on, keep it filled for a few years and don't expand it. So anyway, so Maryland. Same, hey, yeah. same thing with Cole Fieldhouse. You know, you, you and I have talked to Gary. Gary said that if they had stayed in Cole Fieldhouse instead of building that new shit box that they built. <laughs> Um, then they would have, who knows how many national championships they would have had. I mean, Cameron's good enough for Duke, um, fog Allen. I mean, all these old places, they don't have to have suites, well, but 
Sweets run, run the world, I guess. Yeah, and talk about empty. Those sweets at every Maryland basketball game, they practically have to give them away. So Really? Oh, God, it's just it's a disaster. It's such a bad basketball environment. Sure, everybody, you know, Dan Dockett says, oh, this is the best place in America. And, you know, they're not there to watch Maryland play Coppin State when there's literally 6,500 people there and the place is just yeah. brutally – you know, no, no feel to it. So anyway, uh, the way that another personal thing is, is my, uh, and I can say this, I think, but, and I'm not name dropping for all you listening, but <laughs> my, uh, Don't my worry. roommate in college and my golf teammate, Jason Rowe neighbor is the current head coach at the university of Maryland for the golf team. And he's screwed. He is, they're screwed. He's absolutely screwed. What are they going to do? scholarship wise what are they going to do budget wise i mean i know what they're going to do is we as golf team alumni are going to step up and uh provide funding you know as best as we can but they don't need money right now because they're not playing (laughs) right but they will eventually because you know these big 10 schools are looking at hundred million dollar deficits as far as the eye can see in every corner of the conference if they don't play football giant holes, torpedo-sized holes blowed in their budgets. And yeah, so and they're going to have to go scrap for that money somehow, and they're going to go raid the smaller programs for every nickel and dime. Be like shaking open a, a piggy bank to go, what do you got in there, golf team? They'll they'll probably renew their push to sell that beautiful golf course inside the Beltway, Ron. Yeah, you know that. It's I know. It's, um, we're Sorry all depressed of that. Now, yeah. No, it's just nothing makes sense. You know, my your listeners have heard me go on and on and on about the state of things and it just nothing makes sense. I mean, the, the, getting rid of the golf course never made sense in the first place. Um, but now it'll be more than likely it will be a victim uh, of the, you know, it's going to be part of the fallout from all of this. I, and that golf course will probably be gone. I can make a little bit of sense out of it in that just from an analytical standpoint, I think we've got a very dangerous cocktail of rampant fear that's been amplified by the media and then opportunistic political operators who are rushing into the void because like in game of thrones littlefinger chaos is a ladder they see this chance with everything up in the air and everything changed to get in and and try to rearrange things to their liking and to their financial benefit so when you have a cocktail of a dishonest media that is fomenting fear an easily scared public that is of low information in terms of getting it and analyzing it, and then malicious actors, you get what we're seeing right now. Yeah, it is a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> it is a Molotov gonna be cocktail. A, well, yeah. and there's going to be a lot of fallout, ca- a lot of casualties yeah. of war. And well, it's we'll, really, uh, it's, we'll try to know, keep this. We'll try to keep everyone sane that's listening to us that agrees that are nodding right now that are pumping their fists, going, "Yes, we, we're not alone. I'm not alone. I see the same <laughs> shit too." And and you know what? We'll pick up the pieces and we'll we'll forge ahead the best we can, and hopefully yes, we'll we get, will uh, some lesser shitheads in charge of all the yeah. institutions that currently have too many shitheads in charge. Okay, let's pivot to the great American race. Do they call Indy the Great American Race, or is that Daytona? The greatest spectacle in racing. The greatest spectacle in racing. Thank you very much. That's First dumb. year it'll be held without fans, ever. Ever. Yes. <laughs> Are you going? Pre- are 103 you gonna... previous races. Right. This is the 104th. Wars, previous pandemics, lean no, years, good years. Wars. 
There's two wars. Well, there's they, been uh, previous pandemics in 103 years. Uh, yeah, but never stopped the race. Just no, no, seven, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, oh, I was yeah, about I'm to sorry. say okay. that it's the first time, despite wars, previous pandemics, good times, bad times, economic depressions, uh, boom times, bust times, always had fans. This year, not. Are you going to be able to sneak in somehow? <laughs> There's no sneaking in, but um, get in. What? Well, yeah, until two days ago, I was not going to be there. I wasn't going to go home, um, but. There's a kind of a new development, and it involves one of our members who happens to be the commander of uh, the United States Space Force, General Jay Raymond. And Wait a minute. The Space Force is a real thing? Are you kidding me? The, the United States Space Force is a new branch of the military, and General Jay Raymond, four-star <laughs> general, is the commander. I thought that was just a TV show with Steve Carell on Netflix. Oh, do you, do <laughs> we really have a space force? Of course. Yes, and what do they and do. what do they do? Uh, Patrol I'm not space? Go there. I don't know. It's very involved. <laughs> I know that. It's high tech shit. Okay. But, is it uh, like Jay, NASA or is it like NASA two? It's NASA combined with the Air Force and oh. just imagine serious shit going on okay. up in the skies. All right. Anyway, so, so go so ahead. Jay Raymond is, um, the, the, I'm sorry, the space force is sponsoring Ed Carpenter's race car. And of course, Ed Carpenter is the hometown boy. Uh, the stepson of Tony George, who is the grandson of the, uh, longtime owners of the Indianapolis motor speedway, the Holman George family. And Ed's running in his 17th Indy 500 and he's fast and he's good. And General Raymond doesn't know anything about racing, and he's just completely enamored uh, about my family history, 50 starts, as I've said, and mm-hmm. a victory in my grandpa in 1950. And uh, so he is so here. He gets each car, each driver, really each car gets 16 guests. That's it. That's how many. So 33 times 16, and then, of course, your dignitaries and track officials and IndyCar officials. So that's going to be it. So General Raymond is coming out and he uh, is coming out to meet Ed Carpenter. He's never met him and to see his first Indy 500. And there is a potential that there is going to be a couple extra spots. Okay. My, my hopes are not high, but you never know. Okay. So instead here. of being here in Maryland and having General Raymond hit me up and say, hey, Ron. You know, we're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't help you just hire faster. 93% of employers agree. Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. This according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Zabe. Just go to Indeed.com slash Zabe right now and support the show by saying you heard about it right here on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Zabe. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ron, Ron, are you, can you come? And I may be like, uh, no, I'm in, in, I'm in Maryland. So we're going out. And the great thing, Steve, is there's racing all leading up to the Indy 500. There's a place called Raceway Park out there, a small oval 
asphalt racetrack, which is very fast, and they're going to be racing Friday night, Saturday night, leading up to uh, the race on Sunday. So we're going to go out and we're going to watch that, and we're just going to go check out some high school football, which they are playing. My nephew's nice. playing out there. So yeah, we're going to do it, and I just want to be out there in case we get to go. Okay. Uh, have you ever have you ever seen the? Uh, I think it was a documentary called "The Thunder Cars of Anderson in Indiana." Yes. Don't let's not go there. That's Why? Such, it's horseshit. That's not even that dinky little track. This is a much more uh, advanced <laughs> racetrack than that, and we've talked about it. That's, okay. All right. Yeah, I, I, I know it's not like that at all. These all are right. midget sprint cars. The ones that Tony Stewart and Jeff Gordon and all Grew the guys. Up on. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan Newman. I could go right down the list. All right. Kyle here, Larson. Here, so. I want to read this into the record because the other huge open wheel fanatic, friend of the show, lives in Indy, has been to Zabe Vegas. Andy Morin, who uh, I believe you have emailed with. Yeah. He sends me this. Yeah. He sends me this. He goes, regardless of whether it's something you're covering or not, I can't let an awesome weekend of Indy 500 qualifying go by without at least sending in some thoughts. Marco Andretti, son of Mario and son of Michael, or grandson of Mario, son of Michael, won the pole in shocking fashion. <laughs> True? No, absolutely. First time an Andretti has been on the pole in 33 years. And despite his legendary name, the family's been largely irrelevant for at least five years. Somehow he's both young and a veteran. He's 33, writes Andy, but his first 500 start was at age 19, Correct. So he's got 14 years of experience, had early success, nearly won it in that 19-year-old rookie start were it not for a pass on the last lap on the front straightaway. But he's been uncompetitive, not just in the 500, but in the series as a whole for years. So it was pretty cool to see him pick up that pole. Go ahead, Ron. No, it, it really is. Um, and, you know, the thing about Marco is he, he gets a bit of a bad rap. When Marco's on the uh, – you know, the microphone or whatever, talking back and forth with his crew, he gets really worked up. He screams and he bitches about the car a lot and the handling <laughs> and what the fuck are you guys God doing? Damn man, that thing don't handle for shit. Yeah, now he's generally talking to either his dad or um, Brian Herta, who is another driver who is one of the team manager owners. But um, anyway, Marco can drive. These guys can all drive. It's just a matter of having car, the right setup, having the cars dialed in. And, you know, Marco's had great equipment. We don't know why he hasn't won. I think he's has two, maybe three wins, two wins uh, or three wins, but like three podiums. That's it. Huh. And so we've expected more from Marco over the years. 2006 was his first year and he was passed literally, you know, a thousand feet from the finish line by Sam Hornish Jr., and this would continue what many would call the Andretti curse. His dad, Michael Andretti, has led more laps at Indiana at the Indianapolis 500 than anybody who's never won the race. Wow! And yeah, so Michael crushing, soul crushing defeats. I mean, way out ahead of the pack, almost a lap, he, uh, you know, ahead and having something slow down. And there became you know, it was so common that. There was to be a saying, and Michael is slowing down. They would oh, say over the honor com, and everybody would be like, "Ah!" Oh, but you shit. expected it. And Mario only won once. He won in '69. So between the family, uh, you know, our family, I've mentioned, has 50 starts, which is third most behind the Andretti, the Unsers, and the Andretti. So the Andrettis have the second most starts, but only one win. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I looked up on YouTube Marco Andretti. And as a 19-minute supercut, Marco Andretti fights, arguments, 
and temper. Let me take a listen to this one right here. All time, whatever any of us come up behind, a guy doesn't belong out on the racetrack. By the way, that's his dad, I think. That's Michael speaking. That's Michael. Can can you tell that just by the voice? Oh, yeah. Okay, he's pissed off. There's been some crash here at a road race. Look, look Look at Marco. This was him getting out just a little bit earlier, shaking his fist, looking over towards the direction of Eddie Cheever. Cheever's out of the car. Everybody's okay. The cars are hurt, wounded, and they're both out of the race. Let's go to Doc. Well, they're bowling over down here in the Marco Andretti pits. And, Dad, uh, you just saw the replay. Your thoughts? The guy's a waste. You know, he did it on purpose. It's it's so blatant. I mean, he does it all the time whenever any of us come up behind. A guy doesn't belong out on the racetrack. Complete idiot. (laughs) Eddie Cheever, huh? Eddie yeah, Cheever's Cheever. an asshole, huh? Well, he won. He's got an Indy 500 win during the lean years. Now? What can you do about what happened on the track? What do you yeah. do? I, what do you do? The guy shouldn't even be allowed to be on the racetrack. You know, it's just a shame. <laughs> I feel so bad for Marco driving a hell of a race. And uh, a guy like that just blatantly takes the kid out. I mean, just stupid. All right, a lot of frustration down here from Michael Andretti. And they were throwing things and very, very angry. And, of course, that is one side of the story. But you see uh, from the monitor as Eddie Cheever climbs out of the car there. And, uh, obviously, uh, he's got to be frustrated well. He wanted to get a finish here and uh, may, may not run many more events. And I don't think he finds sponsorship, but a frustrating day. Uh, here we go. Here one comes. driver who's been up to speed all afternoon until a few minutes ago was Marco Andretti. Marco, sorry about what we saw on the re- Handsome young fellow, by the way. Yes. I mean, just like, impo- like if you see him, you go, you must be a of high-level race car driver. You yes. look very handsome. Yes, Why, yes, yes, I am. You played yep. a moment ago, but from your vantage point, what happened? Blatant, absolutely on-purpose deal. Um, and if he's, you know, he's going to, of course, say he didn't know I was there, then he doesn't need to be in the series. I'm sorry. Um, you know, if, if he didn't know I was there, come on, that, that's a little scary. You, get, you know, you're in the wrong business, buddy. Will you be able to go talk to Eddie Cheever or, or discuss this at all between now and the next few days? It won't be a discussion, I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> there's nothing to talk about. I mean, it, the, the guy is unbelievable. Um, you know, the NYC car was a, a contender for the win. It's a bummer. Would you have had a car to be up front and maybe contend for these last few laps and been a factor? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the car felt so good. The guys were doing an awesome job in the pits. One more pit stop and we settle in and we go do it. I mean, I, I feel like I, have, I did have the fastest car in the racetrack. So there you go. little sample yeah. of Marco well, and Drew. What I was going to say, though, is Marco has a bad rap because of exactly those moments. But all race car drivers have that adrenaline going when they get out of the car, especially after a crash. And, a crash, and they get pissed off and they say shit that they end up regretting because they got to race against them the next week. Right. And they got to be at the driver's meeting with them. But Cheever was a pain in the ass. But well, really, that, though, Mark, that, that particular Mark, crash, just to to my eyes, I'm like, yeah, yeah, what the fuck are you doing? He just yeah. basically bumped him right off the track. <laughs> yes. Well, so, but the thing about Marco, as I said, his bad rap does not translate to the human being that he is. Every one of the drivers, literally every one of the drivers, adores Marco Andretti. He's the one of the kindest people. He takes time with fans. He takes time with the young fans, but he is such good friends with the other drivers yeah. he's got a big heart he's a good person and let's be honest what driver isn't going to want to be friends with marco andretti because of what comes with it for especially because michael andretti what, what the team owner 
Well, they, well, Michael has six cars in the race. You know, he generally has between oh, four cars okay. in the series and six cars. So that's so, a, so that's a family when, you don't want to get on the wrong side of. Right, well, when you're you might looking be able for to, a ride. Yeah, you might be able to drive for, for them at some there point. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Plus, I mean, so, I'm sure the spillover poontang from Marco Andretti has to be spectacular. I mean, look at the guy. Seriously, he just, <laughs> just walks into a hotel lobby and you're like, I'll take your fourth, fifth, and sixth choice. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, by the way, uh, Andy Morin goes on to say uh, the driver Marco beat out by less than .02 miles per hour over four laps is one Scott Dixon, who will probably finish up as one of the three greatest IndyCar drivers, says Andy, of all time, and yet is somehow still unknown and underappreciated. Mm. True that? Uh, unknown, not necessarily, no. Okay. He's, um He's known across the world as one of the finest race car drivers. He's a New Zealander. He drives for Chip Ganassi. He has seven championships, okay. and uh, he's a wonderful guy. But the you know the pole speed for those that don't know, a lot of you do know listening. But you run four laps flat out. Take the green. You run four laps. And they average your speed. So two and a half miles. Two hundred thirty-one miles is on the pole. That's Marco point zero two thirty-one point zero six eight Dixon. Four laps, two hundred thirty-one point zero five one. So right. literally, just... Andy, Andy Morin said it's the fastest since twenty seventeen. It's still off the record of two thirty-six set back in ninety-six, ninety-seven or ninety-six uh, or ninety-seven. That would be Ari Leyendike. He said um, that Andy said that it was mostly because of an allowed increase in turbo boost, and it was a bit windy on qualifying so there's a tailwind down the front straight he knows his shit yes he does yes he absolutely spot on anyway he Uh, andy points out he says the other thing is the as a uniform geek you are zabe hometown hero butler grad ed carpenter is being sponsored by the space force and he goes on to say the actual military branch not the show pretty sweet fire suits and livery check them out and he sent me a couple of pictures so there you go um, so a little bit more outside the front rows, Takuma Sato, who won the race two years ago. He's a former Formula One guy, Japanese guy, great driver, but uh, tends to be a little wild coming in one. So, And we've got some rookies behind him, but there are only 33 entries, Steve. At one time back in like 80 or 79, there were 118 entries to get what? into the race. Yeah, 33 spots. There were only 33 entries, so we didn't have the... All um, what was you know, the, the nerve-wracking what, bump day? What was the peak again? What year? Uh, it's, it's late seventies, I'd say seventy-eight, seventy-nine, eighty. There were one hundred and eighteen entries. As recently as two thousand, how many entries would try to get in? Mm, two thousand, I'd say right around forty. Okay, so the guys were still getting bumped this year. They took anyone and everyone. They bumped. Yeah, they took. They had thirty-three enter, and they. Uh, they took 33 and this is the first time so get, get this so in 19 since 1992 there has been at least one woman who has tried to qualify for the indianapolis 500 so she's been in uniform crossing the yard of bricks okay that's pretty impressive 2013 there were three women yeah many times there's been two women pippa Mann, um sarah fisher of course danica uh and a few other really good drivers, really good drivers. Okay. They're not in great equipment. This is the first year that no female has been, uh, you know, in uniform. And why is that? Tried to make the right. Well, so this guy for the Indianapolis star, and I've had a couple of exchanges recently with a couple different riders, one being Greg Doyle. Oh boy. Uh, 
Yeah. And uh, this guy today, I just couldn't help it. You know, I'm off Facebook. That that, that doesn't mean I'm keeping my mouth shut. I was going to say, how's that going? You still off? It's of it? uh, way off it. Way off. Good. It. But this guy right. This guy writes an article, and it the front page of the sports section. Of course, I'm looking online, but it talks about the lack of diversity in IndyCar racing because there are no females. Oh, and fuck. Pippa Mann, who is a driver who's been in I think seven Indy 500s, she's always scrounging up sponsorship deals throughout the year she tries to find spots then she jumps in a car last year she finished 16th that's her best finish and i think that was probably maybe her eighth or ninth race so she goes on record with this guy long ass article too long that's the first thing i told him i said yours article is a long-winded <laughs> nothing burger okay <laughs> But how, I mean, what if you, doesn't it make sense that maybe the corporate sponsors don't have the money to throw at the Indy 500 this year at a female driver or any driver? Well, how can you say for the who, first year in X number yes, of years, there's no female driver because it lacks diversity? 27 year. straight years. Yeah. And, I mean, and once he, and if you had X number of women, you'd say, well, where are the black drivers? You'll exactly. say, well, where are they? And then next thing it is, where are the transgender drivers? And it'll be something, you know, where's the non-gender binary drivers? This is the sickness. This is the mental illness of the radical left is that they only think in these terms. They don't think in the real world. They just, where's the diversity? Where's the injustice? There must be injustice somewhere. I'm going to go be a warrior and fight it. Fuck off. Exactly. But where are they when, uh, you know, when there are, when there is a woman, at least one woman, sometimes yeah. two, sometimes three, where are they praising IndyCar for this? Instead, no, they're not. they just fucking, they just railroaded IndyCar. I mean, railroaded yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. And we're, you know what I wrote to the guy? I said, you are railroading an entity that is an economic orgasm for the city of Indianapolis <laughs> and the state every year since a hundred since you know for 104 races 103 why, years why don't they have and you, this, this was for the Indy Star yeah Indy Star why don't they have a why don't they have an editor say we're not carry we're not running this story this is bullshit it's, it's fine just, if you want to be legitimately critical of the race for something okay fine but this is way out of bounds fuck you well well and then that followed that just that follows Doyle's article who when when it when Penske bought the racetrack the first thing Doyle said was, what a great, there, it's not a better human being on earth that could have bought this racetrack. We've got a shrewd businessman, a, a very smart businessman, a popular man who loves IndyCar, who loves auto racing, who's won 18 Indy 500s as a team owner, who used to be a driver. He's just a well-respected. The Holman George family, great job selling this racetrack. And then guess what? Leading up to this COVID, this motherfucker started his his articles about, you know, uh, Roger Penske and his pals, meaning the my, Mark Miles and Doug Bowles, the president mm -hmm. of the racetrack, and, and his pals are playing Russian roulette and treat and oh, you guys, yeah. you're the or no, you're, they're a scientific experiment, and you're yeah. the guinea pigs yeah. by allowing people to come to the race. I mean, I went fucking nuts on this guy, and he started writing shit to me back about. Uh, you're, you know, you're going to go back to being someone I've never heard and I'm going to win an award for one of these articles that you've sent me. So, you know, I wrote back to him. I said, is that why you write? Is that what you write for to win awards, to get wow. a journalistic award? I mean, it's so irresponsible, Steve. Yeah. It's like so as if they're, as if they're rounding up people at gunpoint to force them to go to a race. That's right. That's the one thing that so many on team virus, which tends to skew left tends uh, is that they they subtract personal agency 
from every equation in life. And that is sort of a hallmark of very leftist thinking. They think you as an individual don't have agency and we'd like to remove your agency because we're the government we know better. So in other words, your choice to go to a race or your choice to go to a restaurant should be managed, controlled, or limited by your superiors, us. And we'll tell you what you can do, when you can do it, and how. And it is beyond fucking evil and crazy, and it, it it's just so disheartening for me to know that many people sign on to that thinking, well, yeah, they should. It's an emergency. Well, Fucking stay to home. Me, that's right. And it's so. And to me, it's irresponsible when someone has the pen and paper, it used to be, or the typewriter, but now the laptop. And I told him that. I said, you're a twit with a laptop. Yeah, but and you I know said, what, though? He's not, kind of twit. he's not wrong. Those who run the newspaper business and give out the awards – think just like him yeah and, and that's so what his, he wrote back to me his he literally career, right, wrote that back to me his career survival depends on those otherwise meaningless crystal trinkets on his shelf for good boy award for you know writing this and that can help keep him employed yeah and keep the paper it's like having a wonderful surgeon at your hospital mm. you know you can say we've got the best doctors well Andy, sorry we've got the this award-winning guy yeah. But the, the last thing I'll say is, you know, he, uh, well, fuck it. I won't say it. That's <laughs> right. that's a, I think hey, you, you've said your, enough. Your show yesterday with Jay was so good. It was hilarious. We, he, Jay was fired up. I love the dropping F-bombs and everything. But it was a you really, really good show. Thank Steve. you. You know what's funny is I just got an email literally right now as we're talking. Daniel Miller, CPA, says, wow, today was so good with Jay. In fact, your whole week has been great. Thank you for the podcast. I bought a subscription for my brother. He's now a fan. Appreciate what you do. Keep it coming, please. I that, love it. That email came in. I do know, like, when I got done with Jay, I was like, yeah, we were on. We, we, <laughs> we were having a good time, Jay and I. This has yeah. been a good one today. I, You know me. I'm just a casual racing fan, but I have an intrigue about it, and I think anybody with an open mind could have listened to us and been interested in what we were saying, even if you don't well, watch the India 500. If they're interested, if you you are interested, please tune in this Sunday, 1 p.m. The pre-race coverage starts. The green flag will drop sometime a little after 2 o'clock. But I uh, implore each of you to watch this race, please. All right, buddy. Good have stuff. a good All right, love you, Have buddy. a good trip. I'll love see you. you. See you there. Okay. There we go. Ron Thomas. All right. End on this today. Your smartphone knows when you're drunk. Study. Well, no shit your smartphone knows when you're drunk. Your smartphone can see your texts. It can read your texts. It knows who you're texting. (laughs) Your smartphone, which is always listening, can hear the volume in your voice starting to get louder and louder. But here's how they say they know your smartphone knows if you're drunk. Uh, They did a study in which uh, they put cell phones on little, you know, belt snaps And then they told people who are drunk to go ahead and walk a couple blocks. And the smartphone's inner gyrometer, or whatever the fuck it is, could tell based on the change to their walk if they were drunk. And certainly if you're really weaving left and right, then it would know that you are drunk. But I can think of a million ways in which your smartphone would absolutely know if you are drunk. And pretty soon... It's going to know you're drunk, it's going to know you need to get home, and it's going to know to order you an Uber without you even thinking about it at a certain time, and then it's just going to alert you, time to get in the Uber. Just give it a few years. 
We're getting closer and closer to smartphones so fucking smart, it's actually kind of scary, if it's not scary already. All right, thanks to Ron for picking up the phone tonight. Thank you for listening and downloading. If you liked this conversation, if it was stimulating, interesting, uh, not too potty mouth, but just a little bit potty mouthed enough to be true and raw and honest, tell a couple friends and uh, keep the nation growing. I appreciate your support. Have a great Thursday. Thursday. It's Thursday already. Have a great Thursday, and I will see subscribers tomorrow on Friday. For the rest of you freeloaders, I mean wonderful new listeners, uh, I'll see you on Monday, but uh, Friday edition, which should be good. We got charged tomorrow for Friday's subscriber edition. Lots of fantasy talk and more. I'll see you tomorrow. Otherwise, I'll see you Monday. Have a great Thursday, and we will see you next time. Here it is, a groove slightly transformed Just a bit of a break from the norm Just a little something to break the monotony Of all that hardcore dance that has gotten to be a little bit out of control it's-